Welcome to the Conscious Woman Podcast. This is your host, Pavna Dur. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and insightful conversations on a range of topics that will support you in both living and leading more consciously. From conscious leadership and conscious inclusion to conscious eating, conscious parenting and conscious fashion. This podcast is in conjunction with the leadership development work that we do to support women leaders in leading with mindfulness and compassion. To learn more, please go to shinomics.com. Hi everyone, thank you for listening to the Conscious Woman podcast. Today I'm speaking to Tanuj Pojwani, who describes himself as a storyteller who codes. He is the author of The Art of Bitfulness, Keeping Calm in the Digital World, which he co-authored with Nandan Nilakeni, the co-founder of Infosys. Tanuj has a really important message to share about how all of us can be a lot more conscious or mindful in our consumption of technology, in particular social media. I know doing everything more consciously is something you care about if you are listening to this podcast. So let's dive in. Welcome everyone to the Conscious Woman podcast. Uh, Today, I'm excited to be speaking to Tanuj Bhojwani who is the author of The Art of Bitfulness, which he has co-authored with Nandan Nilikani. Tanuj, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. I'm really excited to speak to you about how we can all be a lot more mindful in our use of technology. Thank you, Bhavna, for having me here. And hello to the audience. One of the first things I'd love to ask you is, you have co-authored this book with Nandan Nilakeni, who we all know, founder of Infosys. You are both a good three decades apart. And I love how in the book you even mention you got your first smartphone when you were 21 years old. Yeah. Nandan got his when he was 55. Yeah. And yet here you are, you were, there was some, I'm, I'm guessing some shared pain that you both felt around the use of technology that brought you together to collaborate on this project. So I'd love to know what was that shared pain or even shared purpose, whatever you would want to call it, for the idea behind this book. So so you're right that both shared pain and shared purpose. The shared pain was surprising. And how this happened was in the pandemic, I think all of us were behind screens and only talking to and meeting people that way. And so was I. I've been working with Nandan for a while, but I think Nandan generally wanted to meet people in person as soon as the pandemic allowed it, as soon as we figured out that, okay, if you wear masks, maintain safe distance, meet outdoors, you can meet people. So in about, I would say, July or August of 2020, we started conducting these, he started conducting these walks in the park. We were both in Kormangla and we used to meet around the park. Now, as opposed to, say, a Zoom meeting where if we manage to run out of things to talk about, we will disconnect or more likely we'll keep talking at the end of the hour. In a park, if, if you had a certain piece of work and you finished it, you're still there, you're still walking. So both of us started, we had a 45 minute thing because we had because his exercise slot. So we had a 45 minute walking time period. We finished what we had to discuss in 15 minutes. So now we have half an hour. Now what do you do? Obviously mentioned how nice it is to actually be out and meet somebody in person and talk to them and how it resolved in 15 minutes whereas in an online meeting you would have thought it would have taken a longer time and he was saying the same thing that he's also felt a lot more engaged and productive and he's, he's here and I had this thought that wait I, aren't you supposed to be this like tech genius sector I mean you're also complaining about this and he had the same reaction to me he said you're young right what if I thought 
you guys all like this zoom stuff and all of it like you know literally speaks like that he says that i thought that all of you guys would like this and i'm i was doing it because i didn't want to be excluded and we both realized that the shared pain is that when you're behind a screen you don't actually form connections you don't it's very tiring i i think that say what you will but you get to know somebody a lot more through through non verbal signals through just reading their mood etc in person and while technology can help us get past distance when we need to i don't think it's our preferred way the shared passion of course for us was that the world is going digital look one way or the other even right now what we're working on is saying that india is going massively digital what matters is the shape of the economy or how we are going digital in the western world essentially all of this has been monopolized everything is coming to the hands of few companies and we both care about that not happening for longer term outcomes so so the book is essentially a mix of these two one is your own personal habits and also what can we do about this larger trend in society yes and the pandemic was so interesting in that sense because on one hand as you said technology was one of the things that literally saved us and connected us when we had no other ways of connecting but at the same time it also made us painfully aware of how dependent we all are on technology many times in not very healthy ways and in fact i'd love to cite some of the statistics that you actually share in the book which frankly are frightening the average user in india you mentioned according to one study spends close to 7 hours a day on their smartphones 84% of users check their phones within 5 minutes of waking the average user touches taps or swipes on their phones over 2500 times which is staggering and here's the important thing over 70% of users agree that their mental and physical health will suffer if these current patterns of consumption continue and that they would be happier if they use their phones less so tanush help us understand what has happened because technology was supposed to make our lives easier make it more convenient yeah. how did we end up in such a toxic relationship using your own words yeah. with our phones and technology in general i think that that's why i use those words toxic relationships because it's the closest thing i know to something that we all have probably at some point experience something's bad for you but you can't help going back for more that like you said the most important statistic is 70% of the people are fully aware that this is bad for them they're not they're under no it's not like it's an awareness problem people just don't understand that the choices they're making are bad for them it's like everybody can see the straight line from where they are and how they are using to bad relationships bad health lack of mental peace Yet we keep doing it, and this is honestly the question that we wanted to explore in the book. And, and I spoke to a lot of people. Here is my summary, right? It, it's that your phone is not just an information device. It is not. It's not. It's not a computer, but a smaller. It is not whatever. It is genuinely, and especially in the pandemic, it became entirely our connection to the outside world. It, 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 every piece of news that you get, think about it. If your 
next job are you going to get it or not whatever you are waiting for maybe you really care about some art or some artist in some new album right Taylor Swift's new album in the pandemic right she released two which made me feel even worse that I took two years to write a book but she can produce two albums in there but anything you care about today comes through your phone your investments you should care about how much money you have you're probably looking at your phone to check how they're doing so that little glass and metal box that you carry around everywhere is literally the manifestation of all your anxieties all your worries everything that you're trying to control everything you're trying to like do in life and it is hard not to form an emotional relationship then with that little magic box and and that's why things like you basically start like whenever you get up or something or you know you're leaving the room the first thing you do is pack your pockets and check if you have your phone on you I mean, these are absurd things they rationally they don't make any sense for us to do but we formed an emotional relationship with them which is what we would like for people to pay attention to and say that how have you reached here why have you reached here and uh, and does it really do what you think it does for you do you really think that having your phone on you and looking at it is actually going to increase your sense of control over your life or change anything really or is it just putting you in a loop you're anxious about money you check your stocks every five minutes not really going to make a difference but you're still doing it so yeah just bringing more attention to these ideas is what we're trying for but how did we get here honestly it is the fact that just because we could do anything like the phone promised that you could do anything anywhere at any time and what we've done is we've confused that ability with the necessity right we now actually do everything everywhere all the time you're with your friends and you're sitting down and you're still checking instagram as if somehow there's going to be something else in the world that's more important than right now it's not going to be it's so true and in fact i love the way the concept you have coined in the book of really thinking of our phones as a, as an extended mind it's yeah. really an extension of who we are which is why we're so addicted and so attached to our devices because we don't see it as something external so the one of one of the things i really liked in your book is when you really when we really look at this toxic relationship we realize there are several players that have come together to create this perfect cocktail or crisis as you mentioned in the book and responsible for where we are today and i'd love to talk about all of them one at a time so you talk about the human brain first and foremost that is highly prone to distractions so that's the first thing we talk about just the nature of the technology itself which is so addictive and then you talk also talk about just the system overall the silicon valley startup yeah. world which favors scale above all else that has also perpetuated the crisis that we're currently in so let's talk about this one by one because each plays as you talk about in the book each plays such a significant role and maybe if we understand the role each plays we can make a little bit more progress in being more mindful or bitful as you say so start let's start with the brain how is our brain itself really getting in the way of us being more mindful in our use of technology so i love this part honestly because when you dig into it and you actually see what's happening and why are you so addicted let me start with the most common reaction that i got when i started talking to people about this before the book the most common reaction i would get or the story that would be told to me would be something like this that 
oh i was doing i was about to do something or i just finished doing something i was about to do something else so i decided i'm pull out my phone and i'm going to look at instagram in the meanwhile or just before starting a task etc and they would open their phone they would say 501 or something or looking at your phone and then suddenly they look up and it's 531 or it's 20 minutes have gone and oh, how did bed time go type thing this is recurring a lot of people say this happens now to me what's interesting is that this feeling of basically losing time losing space is this sort of you're in a trance or you've lost time or you're you're addicted is what you say you're scrolling you don't realize it but the same feeling of absolute immersion is what is also being called inflow and if you talk to say top athletes or you talk to people who are good like somebody who's painting in their craft and they say that when they're actually creating masterpiece or when they're doing something or when someone's having their record breaking run you ask them what they were going through what they were feeling you know what were they thinking they're like we weren't thinking we were your brains were absolutely quiet you were completely immersed all i could see was the ball or all i could see was the other opponent or whatever they're very focused on their own goal these two states really the one where we are completely distracted by our phone and the one where we are completely immersed in in the task at hand these are actually the same state right when the basically your inflow there is something there's a simple loop that you've created which is there is a behavior there's a reward to it and there's a clear path of action between where you are and getting to a high score etc so in the case of scrolling you go up you're rewarded with when you scroll down or scroll up you're rewarded with new content in say a tennis match or whatever you're you're playing your opponent what counts as a serve as a win etc these states are very similar and this is because the people who design these and you know getting into point 2 the people who design these apps actually look into this kind of behavior they look at what keeps casino people in casinos addicted to actually design these experiences for you all of us really what we are seeking is this state of immersion and full engrossment and engagement in what we are doing the only difference is what are you doing in that state the social media of the world would like you to be scrolling and buying and just seeing their videos and listening to ads etc whereas what you would rather be doing would be more of your work or more of whatever you're trying to create maybe as art and the rules around them are very like the thing that engages you is very simple your brain is designed the same way it is that can you avoid these traps of these games and then get into rather the ones that you want which is what is called flow and so we have a chapter on how do you go about designing flow in your work life right yes absolutely and which really takes us also to the third thing which i think you talk about powerfully in your book which is it's not just us that is responsible for the current state that we're in and so let's not also put all of the responsibility on ourselves to get us out of this crisis there is a whole machinery there's a whole system that has literally created this crisis so help us understand when we look at the collective which which you talk about quite powerfully looking at the individual responsibility as well as the collective responsibility what are some things we should be aware of there i think to me the the biggest challenge right now is that is cultural right what's happened is that i used to in fact we're trying to put this number together back in the day back in 99 2000 people coming out of engineering colleges almost all of them wanted to go abroad right like uniform none of them wanted to stay by the late 2000s this was speaking but then there were some jobs some say jobs in finance or consulting or some other player people wanted to stay right and it services also came along and people wanted to stay 
for a while. I would say by 2009-10, the crisis happens and now people don't want to go abroad as much. If you go back to campuses today and you ask people what they want to do, they all want to start startups. Everybody just wants to be the next on Musk or what have you. And I find, and this last year we've seen Shark Tank come on the TV. We've seen just the news. Most of the IPOs this year have been tech. So basically, startups have become this culture, right? And in this culture, there's only one sort of underlying figure that matters, which is that, you know, how big you are, what's your valuation. And it's strange that things across categories are compared in that same breadth, right? A financial services firm, a fintech firm, it deals, it's in the business of money at very low margins. So take their top line numbers, they're obviously going to be at least tens of billions of dollars, if not hundreds of billions of dollars, because they're making about 60 bips, they're making 0.6% on that or less than and therefore their top line numbers are different right an e-commerce thing is you're actually selling but the value add and what you do and your cost structures are very different but they're all compared on the mantle of this valuation number which is becoming quite frankly ridiculous it's it has it says nothing about are we in a good society it says nothing about is are people being treated fairly it says nothing about are we treating our environment, our resources fairly are, is the growth equitable, right? It might grow big, but is everybody getting an equal part of their share? Take this instant grocery thing, right? Which really gets into my nerves because frankly, that instant grocery startup will no longer be an instant grocery. I already yesterday, when I actually needed for once mushrooms to make a soup on time, it was saying 23 minutes. So that whole under 10 minute promise is not something that I'm actually going to deliver on consistently. I just wanted to create that buzz around it. But when you do that, there are lives you put at risk, right? There's precarity that people like me who will be executives in those organizations are not the ones who have to bear that precarity. Their, their only risk is they'll get a very comfortable salary, but in their ESOPs really turn into billions or millions of dollars or not. That's the only risk they carry which frankly is not much of a risk. These structures perpetuate because ultimately there is a certain class and category of people who get rich from this. And which is why capital is so freely available to this model. Because an investor gets more rich when something becomes the new Facebook, but not when Facebook becomes better for society. That's, I don't want to make it sound too simplistic because there is, and that's what we've done in the book, there is, various factors. Each of these people are acting honestly in a way that you can't chide any one person for. But when you step back and you look at the system, you have to ask, is this system really going to deliver the good outcomes for society that we all care about? And the answer is no, because essentially what most of them care about is being able to capture the platform, right? So like search, there's only one search engine left. And uh, I was listening to a statistic somewhere that said that on the Google search result today, like for certain categories of items that you search for a flight, 48% or something of the screen that you see are all Google products. So you'll see a Google paid search result, then you'll see Google answers, then you'll see Google flight, you know, their own widget showing their own flight, etc. So imagine that, like of Billions of people ask trillions of questions and like in every single surf, 48% or so of our attention is captured by one company, right? They're literally getting to decide what we think. Same happens in social, similar things will happen in other places. And this is the playbook. All Silicon Valley sort of companies are aiming to monopolize an entire segment 
and become the market. This does not lead to good outcome. Historically, we have enough proof and more to show that every time there's a monopoly, innovation stifles, new prices will come in. The internet itself would not have come in if AT&T had not been broken up because everybody was fine with things because there's only one company, people did not know any better. The basic problem here is that the financial model of building new startups, the culture of wanting to be the biggest and the most valued startup, all of this combines into one particular type of company or startup only being appreciated. Everything else does not. This is to me the heart of the problem. Till we get out of this, we are not going to see a diverse, resilient economy. We are going to see more and more of these giants trying to capture everything in one place. Yes, absolutely. And to be honest, this is the part I am I'm still struggling with because on one hand, as you said, if we only look at what we can do as individuals, we're really only fixing the symptoms. We're not getting to the root cause. And as you said, the culture or the system is really the root cause. But this culture now is so deeply entrenched and unlikely to change anytime soon. What hope do we have? And I want to be optimistic about this. So I think the answer is the following, right? That over time, this might be nuanced right now, but I have hope that as consumers, as individuals, we can get start getting smarter about these things. So I think today it is understood as much as Apple is still the dominant phone in many markets, including the US. It is understood that Apple is not really going to make products that are necessarily economical for you. It is, it is now a joke that if Apple won't even sell you, like they'll sell you the charger also, your phone separately, right? Like it's, they're like, even that is going to be an additional cost, etc. So first of all, I have faith that consumers can start identifying bad business practices. What earlier would have been seen as innovative or something. Give it enough time, people understand where things are not in their best interest. And then it starts becoming a politic fraught move to do something of that sort. And we've seen this a lot with say single-use plastics right or packaging like we've seen that wasteful packaging while it is much easier for, for companies it helps their quality processes and returns and all of but it is just becoming as it enters a consciousness of consumers companies have to respond and i think what the what we wanted to do with this book and the conversation we wanted to have is that hey there is a very specific kind of design pattern in when it comes to designing a tech monopoly which if we can pay attention to and you see which companies are on the wrong side of this divide, we can all start making choices and it really puts that pressure on companies to, to be faithful to this idea. Now, what is this What is this idea that I'm talking about? So the internet itself, right, why it became so popular was because it was an open network. An open network means that anybody could come and build off it. Nobody really owned it, nobody permission, like you didn't have to go get a sign off from anybody to start something on the internet. This is why the internet was weird, it was innovative, it was crazy and then it started having so much happening because you didn't have to go to somebody and say, hey, can I please build this? You could just build it. The new set of platforms that we have are doing this gatekeeping role and they're doing it primarily to make sure that they have your attention, they have your data, etc. The antidote to this is something called interoperability, which basically means that if, let's say, I'll give this example in the book, email. You can send an email from Gmail to Hotmail. There is nobody stopping you. It just works. But you can't send a message from WhatsApp to Signal. Now, email was invented 40, 50 years ago. And WhatsApp came out, what, last decade. 
you can't seriously believe that it's a technology that does not allow us it is a clear cut business decision to keep the network closed because that is how the what everything we spoke about on the valley investment side is growth network effects that's the kind of company they like so it's been designed primarily for getting money from investors and promising them riches it has not been designed for the consumer and what is good for us so if we start becoming a little more articulate about what is good design pattern what is bad design patterns and saying that hey you capturing all my data or you only selling me chargers yourself and not open chart open standard or a design where all of us can use the same charger this by the way is such an issue that i don't know if you know this but both eu and now i think the us has a draft it's come with an actual bill an actual law which says all devices must use the same USB C charger. This is an actual law in the EU right now, and they're talking about a right to repair, which means that you you can't only offer me replacements and cost me more money. You should I should have the right to repair my device and reuse them. All of these choices, if we can understand and more people are aware of, I really believe that we can solve this. Interoperability is a big sort of blow to the current business model of capture. And what gives me hope, I'm just going to finish with this, is that. In India, we've actually demonstrated this. We've actually demonstrated this with some with UPI. UPI is an interoperable network. It is doing six billion payments a month, which, by the way, is more than anywhere else in the world by fifty percent. So China is the next biggest, and they're not doing. They're doing about three fourths or little volume than that. Three two thirds, sorry. So they're less than two thirds of our volume. Mobile fast payments and UPI is interoperable. At some point in time, Google Pay with all its cashbacks. Used to be number one, and recently PhonePay has climbed back. Um, and this competition, I expect to keep going. WhatsApp is now getting into the mix. An interoperable network really allows for people to compete on merits rather than compete on how many people did I capture. Yeah, I hope that gives you some hope. Yeah. I know it doesn't sound very easy, but we genuinely believe it can happen. Yes, small rays of hope here and there. So that's 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 definitely good for all of us to know. So switching gears now to what we can do as individuals. So yes, while we want to collectively hopefully keep working on these systemic and cultural changes, if we want to improve our own lives and improve our well-being, we do need to start being more mindful in how we use technology. And in the book, I know you talk about some core principles behind yep. the art of bit. Can you give us a sense of what those are and how we can put those into action okay the simplest one is do not blame yourself for not having the willpower to not look away from your student sector it's very hard even when you go on a diet i think one of the first things that people tell you is either cut down it's, it's mentally a lot easier to say i will simply not eat sugar or i will simply not eat certain things then it is to try and moderate because you're then having to make that decision about should i use it should i not use it what should i use it for all the time when it comes to our devices unfortunately for most of us you will have to use them at some point of time you will need your phone you will need to order groceries maybe do some so the real answer is how do i make sure i am doing what i'm supposed to be doing not that i cut down screen time or reduce or don't look at my phone at all but when i want to be let's say spending time with friends how am i actually making sure i'm spending time with friends rather than looking at my phone or if i'm working i'm actually working on what i need to be doing this is where you should embrace what the tech companies have embraced that you are lazy you are going to only do the most convenient thing 
and you're going to do whatever is most handy and whatever is the first thing available to you. In this way, change your habits by changing your environment. And by this is one is your physical environment. This the best hack that I actually caused me the most peace, I would say, is that my charge plugged in here, which is my desk. My bed is downstairs. So, you know, at night your phone is dying, you want to charge it, you come here, you put it on charge, you go to bed, you don't have a device on it. You are not staying awake longer to scroll and you're not checking it first thing in the morning. It's sometimes it's something that simple by changing your physical environment helps. The other is you can change your digital environment. If you look closely and hard at what exists on your computer and on your phone in what so one thing that I strongly recommend is on your laptop also, for example, if you find yourself distracted when you're there, you're supposed to check, you're supposed to write some document, but you will find yourself not on Facebook because you take yourself seriously, but you will start checking your email, right? You might start, maybe if you have Slack, you start doing Slack then because it's much easier to like respond to a colleague than to actually sit down and finish that one piece of work that only you were supposed to do. So we all have that procrastination at, at various degrees, right? Some of us will base it on Facebook or Instagram. Some of us will just use email as an excuse to not get to it. What I find useful and what we've written about in the book is that you want to separate your, your boundary, you want to create boundaries in your devices, not based on work or home, because those are not as solid categories as you think they are, right? You want to divide them based on the quality of attention you want to give. So when you're writing a document, when Bhavna, let's say you were preparing it, and I must say excellent questions for these interview, right? And the flow, you needed alone time, you needed quiet, you needed non-disturbed time. When I was writing, I needed that kind of attention. A mode on your computer, and by this, I genuinely create a new user, right? Just create a new login. It'll act like a whole new computer. And on this whole new computer, only install those tools and things that you need to do focused work. Do not install email, do not install or like open or have in your browser any social media, etc. You can even block these sites actively. Once you create these modes on your computer, every time you open it, you'll be presented with a choice. What do you want to do right now? Am I here to quickly check my email, message some colleagues in Slack and be in that kind of not focused, but not distracted either, just responding, responsive kind of mode? Or am I here to do deep work? In which case I will log into my deep work profile and for an hour and a half, I will actually do what I'm supposed to do, not get segment, do anything else. The reason why we found that this works and we tried with a bunch of people is because honestly, if everything is a click away, you won't even realize if any of you were smokers, you'll notice that most smokers will complain that they don't even realize when they lit that cigarette. It's such an involuntary action to reach into your packet and put one in and light that cigarette. You only realize it after, oh, when did I write this? It's the same with checking emails, the same with checking Facebooks, the same with all our distractions. We do it so involuntarily and so instinctively that unless you create these boundaries, it's going to be very hard for you to recover. Honestly, those, if you are, now that we've had about six months, four to five months since the books come out, we've gotten feedback. I think these physical environment and digital environment boundaries have been the most successful sort of tricks that people gave us, came back and said that these are the ones that work the most. And other than that, honestly, every time you find yourself doing something on your phone that you don't want to do or on your device you don't want to do, just honestly ask yourself why. Because there's no hack, there's no sort of thing, it's self-knowledge. It's knowing why I am doing this, which is going to help you more than what is the technique to not do that. Brilliant. What I love about all of the solutions you've shared is that it's coming first and foremost from a place of acceptance of both the nature of 
our mind or our brain as well as the nature of technology and it's working with that rather than against it it literally leveraging uh how things are and using them to work in our favor rather than rather than falling prey to these forces that that seem so so strong in fact one of my favorite quotes from your book is around working with designing our environment and if i could just read this out because i love this if we design our environment around who we are instead of who we wish we were we can guide ourselves towards making healthier choices automatically yeah yeah i mean it isn't it true i feel like i my to do list from a few years ago used to be more ambitious than i am like i the things we set out to do the things we believe we will do we really overestimate what we're going to achieve in a day or in whatever but at the same time we don't appreciate enough the sort of compounding effect of consistency of just taking a simple step and doing it consistently it might be boring it's not life changing i get this the, the reaction that i love the most is so i've recently lost a lot of weight i lost about 30 kilos and then people ask me who not seen me in a while and said they asked me what do you do and i said i just you know, i ate a simpler diet and i ate it on time and their first reaction is that's it and i i always get perplexed by that because it's, it's not easy to stick to a diet and to, to like actually stick on time so it's not so underestimating even that simple habit etc but at the same time they refuse to believe that something so simple just done consistently and over time can have such a profound effect and i think that's all of our problems we all keep looking for a holy grail or a secret or a very buzzfeed like here are 10 things or here are four things that will make you elon musk or something like that but none of them is going to work right there's another line in the book which sort of i used to introduce the section on individual change it says that you don't need a hack you don't need hacks you need a system and this system only works if it's designed around you it's my system is my system but what works for you is will what will help you so i, I hope the book acts as some sort of guide for people to create their own system rather than like my here's my system that will work for you guaranteed results of money back I, i'm i'm making no such claims yes yes and, and in fact i do love that you make that point as well that it's not about limiting our use or going on a digital detox but based on how whatever our consumption patterns are how can we make these small changes as you said yeah. to come from a more healthier place or a more mindful place so we can have a better relationship with technology brilliant tanuj what is the next thing that is most exciting for you and for anyone who's watching or listening to this if they want to support your movement around mindful use of technology how can they help honestly i to me tell you it's not going to be coherent right like what i'm about to tell you is not going to be i wrote a book so now i have a podcast now i have a course and i'm doing none of those things because i'm really not doing this to make money out of this and honestly writing a book is you know there are various other ways in which you can make more money and do this is genuinely because we wanted to talk about this and at least i wanted to put a stake in the ground and say look this is where we are and it's not healthy and i wanted to make that point what i'm doing next what i'm hoping to do next is that i'm trying to counter a very specific emotion that i find on social media happens which is that most social media is uh, or most people who are influencers or whatever they are they try to show you a very polished life right so if you look if you follow a fitness influencer they're already at like 
they are out there they are really doing it if they can lift whatever weights and they can do so much etc you go yoga right and there are people who are doing headstands all over the place etc fashion influencers they have everything i think somewhere in that it and we know this we've seen research facebook the papers that came out last year it pushes a lot of negative self image right because people really think that they can't do this and oh i'm not good enough i'm not hot enough i'm not whatever enough i'm not funny enough I'm, i can't dance well enough it's mostly that self assertion so my personal project for the next few months is that i'm trying to start a page where i take things that i am essentially shit at like really bad at and i'm just going to do it till i get better like to a reasonable degree and i'm going to document or trying to document that part of the job that that actually if you put in the hours and you put in the effort it goes somewhere and people want to document just the end or maybe even if there's a change they want to document it as a montage and you know show that oh everything changed like so that i think somewhere culture instant gratification ideal from social media things where we compare ourselves to others and we don't pay attention to the struggle we don't pay attention to things that we can have to go to my if you're in this space if you're somebody who's young and listening and you want to be something you want to write a book maybe etc or you want to do something else i highly recommend to you you look at something called or hear something called the gap by ira glass it's a very short two and a half or three minute extract from an interview um uh, he says that anybody who's in the creative profession they're there because they have taste for good art or good music or good writing looks like even though you can't produce it yourself this is the gap you know what good looks like but you are not there yet and the most important thing he says that nobody ever told him and he wishes that somebody would have told him would be that by the way ira glass is one of the most prolific producers of this american life radio show host he's just it's a phenomenal storyteller so ira glass and national radio personality and he says that when he was younger nobody told him that the only way to bridge the gap is to do a lot of work is to put yourself on a deadline and produce and produce and produce till you get good enough till you start your skill matches your taste then i think this is true of everything there is this great clip of ed sheeran where you know rita ed sheeran is annoyed because everybody tells him you have such great talent so gifted and he says no i'm not i used to be really bad when i started and he plays an audio recording of himself singing when back when and she genuinely is terrible in that clip like he, he genuinely can't sing so i think that's what's next for me like i really want to i don't know how i'll do it where it's going to happen so i'm still figuring that out but i'm trying to put this message out there that it is okay to be terrible at things because you can be better and you know you just have to stick to it which i think people don't realize anymore yes that's probably what's next for me yeah i don't know i don't know what i'm doing career wise this is my sort of personal project but yeah this is what it is i think that's fantastic because you're so right i think so many of us put so much pressure on ourselves to only reveal ourselves once we've mastered something or perfected something yeah. whereas in fact how you truly connect to your audience or to anyone is when you make yourself vulnerable yeah. and show yourself as a work in progress so yeah. hats off to you if you can pull that off and uh, and inspire i'm sure you will inspire many others along the way yeah, as you do that so all the best to you where can people find you or follow you and and join uh, this this movement i it's strange because i really don't do a lot on social media but if i do something i make it a point to at least tell people that i am i'll be honest with you i am more than happy to have one to one conversation with people so the best way to find me might be my email If you just send me an email to tanuj at bitfulness dot com, that's b i t f u l n e s s dot com. If you just send an email, I'll probably reply. And but if you really want to like 
I am at Tanuj B on most social media on Twitter and Instagram etc. But beware, I I don't really post much or anything that might be of particular interest. I only post what captures my fancy, which is very weird. So yeah, but you can come find me on that website if you. I hope the book is of some relevance to people who are listening in and. Uh, If you like the concept, you want to talk about anything there in particular, then I'm more than happy to reply on the email. But even otherwise, if you want to just shout about maybe this project about getting better at social media, right? Getting better on social media, yeah. Not at social media, I'd be happy to talk to anybody about that. Excellent. Final question for you, Tanuj. One of the things we really emphasize with our work at Shinomics when it comes to consciously living and leading is that you be. very conscious about the values that you are living or leading with so what would be a core value for you that you absolutely wouldn't compromise with something that is very central to how you live and that's a very deep question because when you think about this you have to be humble and say that it's not that i've always been true to it but i really want to be able to be considerate right to be kind and to understand that your perspective your world view your facts are not necessarily true for everybody else so um, in every interaction have that amount of grace to be fair to people to show uh, kindness they may not know something they may not have the same sort of culture or background values and and to really therefore be open and tolerant to you know and have the patience for for any interaction because i really feel we've lost that kind of patience for each other and when that that ability to really talk to somebody who's different than you and i genuinely believe everybody is inherently good i don't know people who are evil i know people who are hurt but i don't think anybody is an evil or a bad person sometimes you have to do a little work to find what is good about them beautiful and i think your the ideas in your book are definitely will will definitely support people in being kinder in their interactions with each other online and offline in all ways highly encourage anyone who is listening to this to pick up the art of bitfulness i think it's such a relevant book for our times and for anyone who cares about our future individually and collectively it is such a great conversation to be a part of so tanush thank you so much it was such a pleasure speaking to you and wish you all the best with all the initiatives that you're going to be working on in the future. No, thank you Bhavna. I I really appreciate that you took the time to be here and then pick out your best quotes etc. This was a really well done interview. I again congratulate you the little world you created. I I honestly did not I only got a chance to interact with it recently, but everything I've seen so far has been highly impressive. Thank you again for having me and luck. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the conversation to be insightful. If you did, please do leave us a review as that would be most helpful in helping others discover this podcast as well. To learn more about the work that we do, please go to shinomics.com. We look forward to having you tune in again for future episodes. Until then, may you be well, may you be happy, and may you be at peace. Like this Sochcast Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store.